welcome to another episode of You Might Love This, a show and tell podcast. My name is Max. I'm Cassie. And today we are very lucky uh, because we are joined by a fellow podcaster, someone who is a very artistic and creative person who reached out to us to be on our show, and we are overjoyed. Uh, you might be familiar with her work if you listen to the Die Lucky podcast, and uh, it's a subject that is, uh, she brings with her a subject that is near and dear to my heart. Please welcome Isla. Hello. Welcome, Isla. It's so nice to be here. It's great to meet you guys. Oh, it's great to meet you too. It's great to meet you too, yeah. Um, so you are here to talk about, your show and tell project is collaborative storytelling, as you phrased it to us. Um, so what does that mean? What does that mean to you? So to me, in the context that I'm bringing to this uh, episode is uh, I love Dungeons and Dragons and I love tabletop role play, but I especially love those things when they feel more like everybody at the table is collaborating than mm. if the dungeon master is just reading a script. So like I, yeah. I feel like that experience experience is just so magical and whimsical and takes a lot of work but is totally worth it. And that that's one of the th the things that I go to D&D &D for also, honestly, is you know, I could I could take or leave the the numbers and the dice rolling and the and the mechanics. I mean, they're they're a fun abstraction, but it's, it's for me the most fun is all about, you know, what are we going to what are we what story are we going to tell? How are we going to get into it? How are our characters going to interact? That kind of thing. Exactly. So, Isla, tell us about uh how you started getting into D&D. What is your experience and background? So I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was about 16 years old. Uh, my mom got me into it because her brother got her into it. My my uncle Greg owned a hobby shop or worked at a oh. hobby shop for a really long time. And my art career actually kind of started probably when I was eight years old because he would bring me home magic cards and I would copy the magic cards and then Aww. trade them out. So like I, I didn't play deck. I just had the prettiest magic cards. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he got my mom into Dungeons and Dragons and I and she was so into it and started throwing these dinner parties um, where we she, she would get on uh, Yahoo groups and invite people. And my uncle or one of the guests would read a one shot campaign from a setup like uh, we played in Living Greyhawk, which is like an adventuring. Oh, league. yeah. Uh, and we, so we played in Living Greyhawk and we started. So we started with those home games and then we started going to conventions and I got really obsessed with the rules. Uh, <laughs> Like I, I passed my my dungeon master exam to be a dungeon master in Living Greyhawk, but I was more interested in being available for like rules quarrels because mm, okay. I, I I have a, a knack for remembering where things are in the book according to like what images were on the page. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, so I I fell in love with it because of the rules, and then in college I didn't really play as much. I I ran a couple of games that were highly based on those uh, those Living Greyhawk games, and then uh, I, I got a job last year where I my brain didn't really have to do anything at work, um, just like reading off of one page and uh, essentially writing it onto another and I listened to all of these Dungeons and Dragons podcasts and I was like it doesn't have to be this new I, part, part of what was scaring me off is like the 5e rule set but it turns out that it's really easy yeah. it's it's really in intuitive and it's based loosely on the stuff that I knew back and forwards. So a lot of the time when I have rules moments, I'm like, oh, wait, am I remembering the way complex, complicated rule of this? Because I feel <laughs> like it's probably simpler. This is like when I'm in a uh, when I'm in a session uh, and the DM starts asking about uh, people's like intelligence checks and grappling, <laughs> grappling roles and things like that. And I'm yep. like, no, 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 we're playing five. It's it's cool. We, we, we can just fudge all this, really. Yeah. I mean. It, well, it's not really fudging. It just feels like it because if you're used to stuff like the old school 3.5 edition or Pathfinder or whatever. Where everything then, is like super explained or not explained, but like it's really filtered down where as like it, you were saying the knowledge checks, knowledge is still a check, but it's just it's up to DM discretion now over whether or not you roll with advantage or not. Yeah. Yeah. So like if it's something I know you're good at, I would let you roll with roll that knowledge check with advantage because like I want you to succeed because you're you know more, you know? And this is really fascinating that um, that you've 
that, that you cite the the sort of explosion in popularity of D&D podcasts, because I really do feel like in the past, let's say, four years generously, that space within the sort of creative atmosphere of the internet has become so much bigger and so much more broad. Yeah. Uh, and it's really inspiring. Yeah, it really is. I th- That's part of why I also decided to make my thing a make die lucky a thing was because I was like, well, a lot of people are doing this D and D thing and I have this extra thing that I can bring to the table. That's a little bit different. And admittedly in the planning initial planning stages, I didn't really think through how usually it takes an entire like warehouse of illustrators to illustrate a 30 minute (laughs) episode, but you know, it's fine. We'll, we'll get there. It'll get faster as I go because I have all these assets from the past episodes to use Right. Yeah. So you're doing a lot for Die Lucky. You're not just the uh, dungeon master. You're also the composer and the illustrator and all these other things. Yeah. Um, so, so what was that like constructing that sort of like figuring out what you'll need and and how to construct your workflow and everything to make it work right? Uh, yeah. So that was definitely inspired by listening to other podcasts. Like I listened to NADPod and Emily Axford does all of the not all of the music, but a good chunk of the music for NADPod. And uh, I, she mentioned offhandedly at some point that she just kind of dabbles in music and she had like only played in high school band. And I was like, well, I played in high school band. Maybe I should try that. And then it kind of, that's how that sprung off from there. And then the, uh, the character illustrations and the world illustrations, that's all because like, I'm a visual, I'm a visual person. Uh, I went to art school. I got a degree in painting and part of my DM style is a, is like, it's visually driven. Mm-hmm. The visual aspect of DMing is really important to me. Like, I feel like it's more immersive if you have an illustration that's not just an illustration within the game. Like, for example, uh, when my players go into their first dungeon, one of the puzzles they have has actual uh, little illustrations, hand-drawn illustrations that they found throughout the dungeon that give them clues as to how to unlock the door. Oh, that's fun. And I had those little illustrations at the table that everybody could look at. And there's a really good uh, segment, because I recorded all, there's a good segment of them arguing back and forth, like what the different things mean in the images. Like, I don't want to go too far into spoilers, but like, so having those visual things is, is... something that I really like and isn't hard for me to quickly produce for the table. Like the mm-hmm. stuff for the stuff for Die Lucky, I, I like the, the YouTube show. I want to be more polished. Yeah. Well, you're making it more accessible for people Yeah. by adding the visual component to it. Yeah. That's another thing. Like I love critical role and I love dungeon daddies and like, and the, the McElroy's, but like my issue with, consuming those ad nauseum is several of the people on those podcasts have similar voiced voices to each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if I don't have the visual element of the, of like the Twitch stream that they did, I have a hard time engaging uh, in something, not engaging in the stream itself, but like, as in, I like to use this dungeon and dragon stuff as my background um, and just feed it into my brain as a main line. Mm-hmm. So uh, things like I, it, it was NADPOD, uh, not another D&D podcast with uh, Brian Murphy and Emily Axford, Caldwell Tanner and Jake Hurwitz. That was the one that really got me in because their voices are so distinctly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could really, really follow the story. So even when they throw another person in there, it's like, oh, I know that person is different. So I, when I was quote unquote casting Die Lucky, I made sure that (laughs) all of the people that I invited to my table had very distinct voices because even though I was illustrating them, I also had this like thought that I would put all of the audio up somewhere at some point as well. Yeah. So that's actually brings up a really interesting uh, uh, question from me, which is obviously a big part of uh, any kind of tabletop role playing experience is building your team and making sure that you have people at your table who are not only um, who, who not only find what you do as the DM exciting, but who are able to play well with one another. So what is that cast? You alluded to a casting process, and I'm, I'm sure you have tons to say about what that was like. So what was it like to bring these folks together and, and help them get all on the same page? Well, I kind of started from uh, the second episode of Die Lucky centers around Hollis, who is played by my friend Z. And I was specifically looking for something to do with Z that would be fantasy driven and completely outside of reality 
as a like anxiety escape for both of us because we mm-hmm. had both mm-hmm. talked we uh we worked at a coffee shop together a couple of years ago and we had lamented that like nobody plays pretend anymore uh <laughs> And then uh, the episode that's coming out in the middle, hopefully in the middle of September, uh, is about Calder, which is uh, Z's roommate, uh, Charlotte. Well, Charlotte plays Calder. Uh, right, right. Right, right, right. Uh, and then they have, so they they actually have very, very distinct voices on their own. And then we fa- I found out that Z knew uh, someone from back home in New York named Chris. And I sat down and talked with Chris and like gave my pitch for the basis of what the world was. Because uh, that's kind of how I sold it to everyone on my side of things was like, okay, so this is kind of what the world is and where you're going to be. And then something is going to happen to disrupt you. Like you mm-hmm. can tell me you did anything before the point when the story starts and I'll let you have it. It's anything you want it to be. I have like, so uh, Ricketts in his backstory. So he was episode one. He was like, he wanted to be a low life couch surfer type guy. <laughs> and I feel like that's that's the vibe he gave off at the first session and everything. Like, and that's why we don't talk about like where he's from, because like he's not really from anywhere. He's just in this part of the world right now because he has an obligation to go to. And then he's like going to probably go back to where he usually hangs out because that's where the best couches are. <laughs> nice. So and like uh, Calder in this third episode, we'll give some spoilers. She wanted to live in a beautiful under like waterfall grotto type situation and wanted to be a be a half aquatic elf and have beautiful scaly skin so like in the fun so this is an example I've, i've got for like being flexible for your players she really really wanted to be a half aquatic elf because she like racism is a thing in my world so mm-hmm. She wanted to have that like internal dichotomy, but she also wanted the aesthetic of having scaly skin. And according to the player's handbook, half aquatic elves don't necessarily have scaly skin. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. yeah. Like that's flavor that doesn't affect anything like that really doesn't affect anything in the game. So you know what? In Vind now, half aquatic elves usually have scaly skin. Like, cool. And that just makes her feel like she had some agency in the world and i and i want that like yeah listening to you talk about it it's really clear that this kind of um creating this engaging atmosphere uh that lets players um be involved in creating their own story it sounds like that's something that's really important to you um for what you're for what you're doing here oh yeah definitely i'm inspired by some of the best in that regard. Like Brennan Lee Mulligan did a really great podcast called Adventuring Academy, where I think Matt Mercer did the episode on collaborative storytelling. So I might've like gave myself some big shoes to fill, but <laughs> he, uh, he gave the example that uh, it's kind of a jerk move to have your player build an entire idea and then not have the world react to it at all. Like his yeah. example mm-hmm. that he gave was having someone build a private eye like a little kid that's like really obsessed with being a detective and then not giving him a mystery to solve like oh yeah that would be mean yeah (laughs) mean to the person and also like um you're denying if you're creating something for an audience you are denying the audience of something in a way you're you're, exactly denying them the ability to or the the chance to hear this opera this mode of storytelling that they might be really interested in I mean, it might as well be that the DM just assigns people roles that are very strict and that's it, you know. Yeah. And even if you want to approach it with structure, like the way I structured Die Lucky, uh, I had some strange requirements for uh, class stuff. Like I wanted everybody to be dual classed because that comes up in the storyline later. Uh, it's, and also the, I made up some, I made up a pantheon for the world because I didn't want to learn all of the new D and D religion stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, even when you make that thing, those things up, it can help you get closer to it. Yeah, definitely. And I was like, well, you know, the Zodiac has 12, so let's give them 12. Let's, let's have a, a full, like old school multi-gendered coven that is the old gods of the world that are also actually people, which makes it purposefully become problematic because when your gods are people there's issues in that yeah just ask the greeks about that one right (laughs) so like so the and 
and on my side of things, when I'm writing stuff, I also have to keep in mind that anything that I kind of bring up and touch on is going to be something that comes up like, yeah, yeah, because I've made racism. And part of the reason I put racism as a thing in Vend over three years ago when I was writing this story was not just because of racism in the real world, but because specifically in Dungeons and Dragons up until earlier this year, there were races that were playable by characters that were declared as evil, like their alignment was always <laughs> evil. So and that becomes especially problematic when you realize how those races are described in the mm -hmm. player's handbook. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it, it was just a reflection. So I specifically made Vin, I made the racist problem in Vin, the racism, evil people, like hard air quotes here hard air quotes because it's supposed to be a, a stark reflection i made them be the gnomes and <laughs> <laughs> everybody Very count yeah because <laughs> everybody so everybody hates the gnomes because they made necro necromancy a problem in vend hmm. so but but the guy that wrote the history was a half orc so half orcs are sexy debonair poets like oh this is very so you've kind of turned the whole uh the whole thing on its head uh, I, I, uh, opposite of what is presented by the by wizards of the coast i really was trying i was trying to give everybody the uh, like give the the not the npcs the full autonomy that i would give a player when creating that like mm. If one of my players wanted to play a half work, I'm not going to force them to be evil. Like I have in the game that I just uh, uh, streamed a couple of weeks ago, I had a half orc paladin who's a very good boy. Sure. Like <laughs> that you don't have and uh, in in canon in Vend in I'm I'll spoil it now so that I can get the at me's like we can start them early. I have gnolls in my game that are instead of being built after hyenas, I flavored them or uh, I skinned them as basinjis, which are African domesticated dogs. Oh, neat. Hmm. So the even the gnolls in Vind aren't 100 percent evil. I'm like, if you can talk, excuse me, I'm, I just slapped my hands. If you can talk, you probably don't necessarily have to absolutely it's it's just messed up like yeah yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the idea of tying uh, morality to um to race is something that is obviously in the real world extremely fraught and and just uh, and uh not not in any way reflective of the realities of people's lives yeah and if i i, I always figured if die lucky got big i wanted to have a really good message or at least mm -hmm. not ah, that sounds so full of myself uh i wanted to have a good message under it not necessarily a really good really good message but a message under it that i really believed in and i've always yeah thought that if you have autonomy you don't have to be one alignment just because your skin was a certain color your your mom was this right like mm. even with Asimir. <laughs> well and this is something that is like tied into some of the most um some of the most moving and effective stories that are told in in the real world i mean this is this is obviously something that's very resonant and has been with with humans for a very long time yeah and even when you're doing this though like uh i have to i have friends that i check in with to make sure that i'm not accidentally writing like a white savior story veiled by mm. elves because sure, sure. like i realized about halfway through my campaign we we had someone in who ghosted us which it happens that's real life uh, they got life busy stuff happening. It wasn't a full ghost. They did announce that they were probably going to be gone for a while and then they just haven't said anything back. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It didn't sound fine, but it is fine. <laughs> but mm -hmm. they were the only human in the party. Everybody else in the party is some flavor of an elf. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I have this, there, there's something that happens later on in the campaign. And I had to call a friend and be like, hey, do you have the emotional labor and spoons available to listen to my Dungeons and Dragons story right now and tell me if I accidentally just wrote a white savior narrative? <laughs> yeah. and, well, and that's a great move because you really have to, it, to get other people's perspectives. Yeah. So having having good friends that uh, are willing to listen to your Dungeons and Dragons story is <laughs> just so appreciated. Something that you sent us over in your um, outline was that uh, is, is I, something that I actually feel like is probably uh, a very natural uh, like sort of subtopic of what we've already talked about here. I mean, these are powerful issues that affect real life people in material ways. Um, and you earlier you mentioned that you 
did this sort of playing pretend as a way to create a fantasy uh, that was separate from real life. But when you start involving things from real life, then some real life emotions can get mixed in there. And while that can be good for storytelling, it's not always great for um, people in the moment. It can be sometimes a, a, a difficult or a negative experience. So what is what is it like managing that? So I try really hard to check in with everybody, not just as we're going in the story, but also at the very beginning, before we started the story, I laid out that these are topics that we're going to talk about. Uh, open communication from the start is key. We also deal a lot with gender identity and dialecty, mm, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm really sensitive topic, but it's also really important. And I also think that in this world that I have, that gender probably would be a more fluid thing than it is in, you know, current where we are. Uh, But checking in, I I check in with my players after every session and we have a discord where we talk as well. Oh, that's great. And uh, I re-listen to episodes to make sure that everything is running smoothly, because sometimes when you listen back, you can hear tension in somebody's voice that maybe you didn't notice at the time because you were on the high of pretending to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even if you don't want to produce your entire Dungeons and Dragons sessions for the entire world to perceive, I still recommend like just setting up a phone and recording them and mm-hmm. listening to them back because that I feel like has made me a better DM. That's okay. a really cool uh, idea. And it makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's like, um, you know, football players watch the tape from the game. Yeah. The, the day before. There's, how, how else could you get better? Because it's just, as you said, when you're in the moment, it's very difficult to tell exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And specifically, that did happen on uh, at a session where somebody was misgendered. The person who did it was corrected. They didn't acknowledge it. And we moved on. And mm. that's a that's a hard, fast rule at the table is if if yeah. anybody gets misgendered, the way we deal with it is correct. Re- the person who said it wrong corrects themselves and then we move on. If, it, if anything, we say, I'm sorry. And then the person says, thank you. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's and it's something that we have to address because we have non-binary players at the table. We I've had I DM for trans people. I've DM for everybody because it's important. Like that's another thing in the DM community or the Dungeons and Dragons community is like there's a small section of uh, of players and DMs that are super respectful of those things of gender identity. And then there's like an entire section that just doesn't think that we should talk about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that can be difficult because for, for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, we, we, we those of us who are in the hobby, um, a lot of us who feel the way you and I do. I love feel that it's only it's only a good thing for the hobby if it's open and inclusive to more people um, because right. that gets more more people to join us. It makes our community bigger and a bigger community can become a stronger community in that way. Well, and also who who doesn't want to make other people feel good? Like, yeah, yeah. why? <laughs> whose autopilot is? Well, you know what? It kind of makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable that you don't identify the way I think you should identify. So I'm going to make you super uncomfortable. Like your comfort yeah. is like, I just, I don't, I can't. I don't know how to deal with that. So those people are welcome at my table. It's very antisocial behavior, you know, when you really think about it, like this is, this is not a good way to socialize with human beings. I feel like not to get on too much of a soapbox, but you know. Exactly. Well, I was going to say that's something else that's really, it's really important. Just don't, I'm can I say, can I say, don't be a dick? Like that's, that's, that's a, a baseline Dungeons and Dragons rule is don't be a dick like it's not hard even my super conservative mom who plays Dungeons and dragons my suit but she's a more conservative human being fiscally blah 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 or whatever she made a non-binary character to try to understand <laughs> me better that's rad <laughs> really yeah and i've cried about it a couple of times that's so meaningful she's like Slag is my favorite character. They're so great. And she's like, I love it when these old men sit down at the table and they're like, well, yeah, but what gender is your character? And I go, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because like, keep in mind, this is my mom. She's not playing with like 32, like woke 32 year old, 25 year old woke people. She's playing Mm -hmm. with like her veteran buddies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The good old boys. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes, usually the only female at the table. So, wow. yeah, uh, which that's as uh, 
female drill instructor. That's kind of her, that was her life in the military too, I think. So, and then then she became a programmer after the military. So again, oftentimes one of the only female people at the table. Well, this, this uh, makes me think of, uh, I read this last year, I read a book called Dude, You're a Fag. Uh, I forget who wrote it. I should know who wrote it, but um, it's basically, it it examines uh, toxic masculinity, masculinity and adolescent boys. And, um, and how that looks. And one of the things that she noticed through her observations, she basically spent time at a, a high school. Uh, one of the things that she noticed was the importance of theater programs and choir programs, uh, because these are like not people, students aren't consciously necessarily aware of the fact that this is a safe space to um, play with gender, but that it actually does serve that role. Um, And so it's making me think of of RPGs and how RPGs, because you are acting uh, and it's a safe place to become someone else, Mm. whereas in real life, maybe it's not, depending on what your environment is like. This is an opportunity to experiment with um, either yourself uh, experimenting with your own gender identity uh, or for, say, your mom, it's a a way for her to become more familiar with uh, the idea of gender identities Mm -hmm. being fluid or non-binary. To sort of build empathy. Um, Exactly. Building empathy. Because, Mm -hmm. like, here's the thing. Uh, your creative brain and your regular brain are the same brain, you guys. Yes. <laughs> so it's but there's been studies done that say that if you experience something while you're doing a role play, it's the same. The catharsis, the sadness, the happiness, the joy, everything, it all is the same to yeah. you. Like your yeah. your body experiences it the same way. So as if it were, quote unquote, real. So, yeah, I just... It, it, it gives a real reason to like try to put more depth and make sure that you're hitting the beats and thoughts that everybody at the table wants to hit. Because mm-hmm. yeah, like, definitely. I feel like that's my responsibility as the dungeon master is not necessarily to facilitate, just facil- facilitate a good time, but mm-hmm. also to make sure that everybody feels like really included and in control of their own story. Yeah. 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 Um, you've named a couple of, uh, shows and podcasts and such that you uh, were listening to when this idea came to you. But I'm curious if you have any other inspirations, um, things that you keep front of mind while you're working. Oh, anytime I'm building for Die Lucky, I'm thinking about how things look because I know that eventually I'm going to have to draw them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I always, I sometimes sketch beforehand to like make sure that I'm describing things properly and because I don't like to work from box text. Uh, as it, mm-hmm. When I say box text, I mean like having a script right in front of me and just reading to my players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a good time with people just reading to me. I have a hard time engaging. Um, but an improv little bit I can deal with. So I try really hard to make sure that I'm doing that as I as I go. I think I just lost the question, you guys. I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, no, it, uh, it, I think you answered it. It was it was basically like, are, are there any other inspirations that you keep in mind while you're, um, while you're going through the creative process? Oh yeah. That, well, yeah, that, that kind of, sort of. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, it's really cool. I really like how visually, uh, driven you are with this. Um, cause me personally, and I'm not, I'm not a huge RPG person. Um, and I think part of it is because I get bored with just listening all the time. And I feel like if it was more visual, uh, I would, I would probably get more into it. Cause I also really, uh, am more of a visually drawn person myself. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier for me to think about fantasy when I have pictures And like I there was a there was a time before I fell in love with painting that I thought I was going to be an animator and a character designer. (laughs) So I definitely I probably would have an entirely different life now had I decided to go down that path. But uh, yeah, I I have some roots in this interest from the beginning. I just had an experience in a painting class that changed my life. Yeah. It made me go, I have to paint, <laughs> uh, which definitely has made learning digital art an adventure because it doesn't yeah. work the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. Uh, yeah. It's different. You've got a, you've got a, a, 
a barrier, so to speak, uh, in between you and the the product. Yeah, and the yeah, it it doesn't react the same. I mm, mm, yeah. I, it's been, I'm making these noises because it's been a while since I've painted with real medium and I'm really, really missing it because I've just been throwing all of my work into die lucky, but there's something different about how a brush interacts with a surface than Mm. how a stylus interacts with a screen. That's, uh, and both are wonderful. Both are totally valid forms of drawing and they, they satisfy me in different ways, but, uh, I literally changed my major because of that painting class. Wow, that's intense. Yeah. That yeah. that that means that, that that professor really made a difference. The his name was Stephen Fry. I'm not <laughs> even funny. making that up. His what? name was Stephen Fry. Not the Stephen Fry. He but he's a he was a, a painter in St. Louis. Uh-huh. Uh and he he taught only taught painting at, at uh St. Louis Metropolitan Community College. So shout out to Stephen Fry. My entire life is what it is right now because that painting class changed my life. Oh, that's great. That's good to hear. Yeah, truly. I didn't know I was going to be shouting out Stephen Fry today. (laughs) (laughs) So where do you see uh, Dialucky going? Do you have any other projects in mind for the future? So I took all of that time to build the world of Sarai. Uh, Vind is just the continent that the characters are from. So I'm actually writing and script, not scripting, but like uh, writing is probably the best word. I'm writing uh, one-shot campaigns that are happen in the world of Sarai, either concurrently with the main campaign or far, far in the past before the cataclysm happened. Um mm-hmm. So the game that I just ran last week, I or two weeks ago, uh, I don't know when you guys put things out. Uh, earlier in August, I ran a game with the guys from Discography Discussion that was set in Vind, and it's during a zombie outbreak. Cool. Ooh. Uh, and I used some. I'm sorry if you can hear my cat screaming. I heard. There's no nothing wrong with that. I've been sneaking uh, <laughs> peeks at our cat who's sleeping. Sweet Lydia. I have yeah. Zoe over here. Oh, uh, but yeah, the uh, Zoe. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta give me a break, girl. <laughs> uh, she says never, never. I want more food. <laughs> uh, hang on, just one sec. Hold on, one sec. Okay, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I'm enlisting help because she wasn't going to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she thinks you're talking to her. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's how cats work. The more you talk to them, the more they talk back. Yeah. (laughs) It was my own doing, really. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Can you... No worries. Do you mind reminding me where we were? Where do you see it going? What's the future in store? Future in store. Definitely more one-shot campaigns set in the world of Vin, especially since we're in this era where people are getting more comfortable with... Uh, streaming their faces online to each other anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have a, uh, we're calling it Oops All Bards. One (laughs) shot, it's going to be a two-part one shot because I I wanted a very specific story thing to happen in it and it's going to be best for it to happen in two parts. Uh, And that's going to be happening in October. Uh, Still trying to lock in days for that. And then I have the second part of the discography discussion um, the zombie survival Bill and Ted adventure because they the guys from discography discussion literally played themselves. <laughs> they uh, they fell into the world of Vind. We started their campaign with me role playing as myself, being like, "Okay, guys, that sounds good. We'll we'll get to the game like next week. We've got it scheduled in for the twenty fourth. That sounds great." Like, <laughs> and then I Isla- <laughs> signs off of the video call what do you guys do so <laughs> uh the second half of that is uh gonna be next i believe saturday or sunday definitely check out Dialucky on twitch uh yeah so the, those are the two the side things that i'm gonna be doing is gonna be more more live streamed stuff but again just like regular Dialucky, i make all my assets for that as well so like my maps and stuff and all of mm-hmm. the character illustrations, um, which just I, I know that it's probably not necessary for me to illustrate all of my characters, all of my players characters. But I just feel like it makes them so happy. Yeah. <laughs> and if it makes you happy, that's something, too. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah and it makes me happy. Well, yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely a happy thing. They uh, yeah, it's because we, we had somebody uh, Pat. Uh, 
what's the word mm, pass on playing on that game after I had mm. done some of the work for that. So uh, Douglas, who my, my partner who is in the regular campaign uh, stepped in and played the, the good boy paladin. Um, so that's the other thing with flexibility or we're not in odd flexibility. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the cat melted my brain. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It happens. I know. Right. Yeah. But yeah, um, so more live, more, more live stuff. And then I'm trying to get better at more quickly producing actual episodes. Gotcha. Sorry cool. to interrupt. That's okay. Well, you're good. Uh, before the, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about Star Trek and, uh, and, and our, what, what we like about uh, shows like Voyager and, Deep Space Nine and all that. And I'm curious if you have any other media touchstones that were like stories that were important to you in your life that are sort of emblematic of the kind of stories that you are interested in telling. Definitely. I played a lot of Final Fantasy growing up. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, what's up? Me too. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the first time I told my one of my friends about die lucky and told him the backstory he was like so how much final fantasy 10 did you play growing <laughs> up? and i was like now that you bring it up a lot <laughs> and he's like yeah i can tell and i'm like is it problematic and he's like no it's an allegory and i'm like all right cool 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 <laughs> and it's not like the whole thing is an allegory for final fantasy 10 but definitely the idea of like going out and finding that your gods are not exactly what they said they were and technology is a demonized thing and the people that embrace it are evil even though they're not really like yeah totally that's well that's an that is that is an allegory <laughs> it's not that your thing is an allegory for final fantasy 10 it's just that those two uh, stories are allegories about the similar subjects yeah so i i guess my touchstone would probably be the final fantasy 10 thing but certainly certainly those things have been touched on before because like the the idea that the winners write history that's that's a touchstone like just that idea mm -hmm. because there's a lot of things i anytime i'm narrating in die lucky i'm giving it from the perspective of somebody who lives in vind whereas yeah. i the dm have to be very, very careful and make sure that i don't accidentally say what really happened mm -hmm. yeah like that's something that they need to discover yeah, like, and when they discover it, it's always like this big deal. Like, if some if some god was not the race that you thought they were, and your entire society was built around the idea that they are that race, mm, yeah. yeah, what does that mean? That's an existential crisis for a character, certainly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So I'm sure a lot of people could relate to that kind of a. Um, idea of you know well in real life when people go through spiritual crises uh it it's it's quite um trying to think of the word rattling mm. yes i guess yeah yeah and yeah that's i i guess i'm trying to simulate experiences but like still i i'm definitely not out to hurt no you're you're doing it through a well a safer fictional lens it sounds like Right. Well, and in even in fictional ends, you can there are things we don't do at yeah. Die Lucky, you know, that we don't that, that, mm, mm, I, I, don't, I don't even really want to talk about it because like we don't. It's OK. That's why we don't do it is because like we don't want to talk about it. People at the table get really uncomfortable with it and it's not fun. There yeah, are some things yeah. that for certain people are there's there's no safe enough space. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like uh, I think I I think I made the first paladin in the campaign uncomfortable because in I, I'm I'll, I'll spoil it. I'll go ahead and here's a spoiler. I had him, his intro story be, well, you tried to not get called on this duty to the gods. Good for you, but it's going to happen anyway. And in the meantime, your God is pretending to be a homeless person that you've just been told by your higher ranking officer to get out of this nice part of town. What do you mm. do? So I mm. might've laid it on a little too thick, but He's the one who asked to be a cop. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, I don't know what he was expecting to happen after. <laughs> like I explained the world. That's the other thing is like after once you meet in the middle about what the world is like, you really have to come forward if anything is wrong. Because yeah. like yeah. I, I, I try really hard to make it really clear at the beginning. Homebrew, anything that's homebrew that's all, like not in the books needs to be addressed as early as possible. <laughs> 
Of yeah, course. You know. Yeah. Well, these are all very interesting subjects, and I'm sure that you have lots of stuff planned for the future and that uh, Die Lucky is only going to get more interesting from here. Where can folks find Die Lucky if they want to, if they're, if they're interested now and they want to, to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, as it were? So the best place to find Die Lucky is on YouTube. Uh, I... We are not big enough to have one of those fancy YouTube Earls yet. So please follow Die Lucky so we can get one of those fancy YouTube Earls. It's just our name. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on Twitter and Twitch, we are Die Lucky Podcast. And on Instagram, we are Die Lucky. Uh, and I have about a year's, uh, an entire year worth of play, like games recorded already. So there's Excellent. plenty more Die Lucky to come. We're in real life. We are at like the last quarter of the game. Like the, the story wow. has like a quarter left. Cool. So everybody wear your masks so that we can all meet up in person again. <laughs> play more D&D &D in, in, real, in real spaces, which yeah. is always fun. It's easier to deal with technology that way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Isla. This has been a wonderful uh, enlightening conversation. Thank you for the time. This yes, has been course. great. Uh, and now we're going to move into hearing about what you have to say. And uh, last week, our friend Malik came on the show and he asked us, uh, to, he asked you what it is you're doing or what it is you could do to, uh, in, in your own individual way, make the world a better and more sustainable place. And this is what you had to say. Seth says, it's a small thing, but we basically never take plastic bags from the grocery store anymore. And the ones we have, we reuse as plastic trash can liners and stuff. Yes, I'd like to sell my car after I get it in shape to sell. Don't really need it here in King County. Public transit is already good and it's just going to keep getting better. Nathaniel says not buying meat and just buying less new stuff generally. Also composting and gardening, uh, which according to Nathaniel, sometimes the compost also starts gardening on its own. <laughs> Uh, and Nathaniel also comments that uh, it seems like lockdowns efforts uh, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic have put a squeeze on the fossil fuel industry because demand has gone down. So that's good for your for your emissions. Uh, and back to the subject of trash, he also says that we don't even buy trash bags. We might start, um, but instead we just hang a grocery bag on the kitchen cupboard door. Laura Ray says, trying to end capitalism. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that be great. Uh she says, I cannot garden. I have a black thumb. Brienne says, we get water jug refills 20 gallons at a time, uh, composting with tea and coffee to feed the garden, and reuse TP rolls for gardening as well. Steph says, I don't purchase distilled water bottles anymore. Instead of using regular trash bags, she uses big tarpaulin bags instead of smaller ones. Uh, it means less bags in the landfill. She also notes, I think it's important that Recycling involves as much civic research as voting. It's a responsibility because not a lot of people rinse and remove labels, etc. And that recycling ends up in a landfill. And lastly, Cam says, I have a garden outside with native flowers. Save the bees. Uh, also, for years now, I turn off the water when I'm washing off in the shower. So I'll have the water on to get wet, turn it off and scrub with soap, and then turn it back on to rinse. Uh, I started that when I lived with my old roommate and the drain was eternally clogged from their long hair. Had to turn it off just to let it drain in the middle and it kind of stuck as a habit. I also make my own coffee at home and bring it to work on a thermos instead of getting Starbucks and takeout cups each day. Isla, is there anything that you are doing or are, are, are or could envision doing in your in your own life to have a better impact? I really want to go to more protests. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. like just being a part of that community and be, I feel like I, I would like to be more active in my own community. It, like in, in Seattle, we have a large protest going on since March. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Do you have any, um, in terms of environmental sustainability, do you have any things that you're doing or goals of what you want to do? Oh, I am. I'm always making sure that my roommates are doing the recycling. We are, crazy recyclers here in Washington and I make mm -hmm. sure that all of my roommates do that and we are also really good about composting in my house and oh good. that's great using the ends of everything making veggie stock all that fun stuff to like just minimize the curb pickup every week awesome uh and what is the what uh, what question would you like to ask our listeners so that uh, when they respond to us over the course of the next week you can hear what their input is yeah I would like to know something that 
uh, either their dungeon master, their game master, or even somebody else at the table has done for them that made them feel super included and safe and happy to be a part of the game that they were playing. Just warm my heart, please, guys. We're in dark times. <laughs> yeah. So if you have an answer to that question, you can send it to us on Twitter at you might love th1 or on Earth to uh, or to our email inbox at you might love this podcast at gmail.com. Do you have an answer to that question, Max? Um, you know, it's been such a long time since I played. Uh, the game that I'm in right now, my DM is letting me play a lawful evil character, which is something that I've never done. Um, and uh, it's not the rest of the party's alignment. Uh, and I just feel very, uh, I, I really enjoy being given the freedom to do something that is uh, different. I love that. <laughs> yeah, he's not evil in the sense that he's plotting against the PCs. He's He he understands that, you know. I mean, how would that serve him? He's not law, He's not lawful no, dumb. exactly not. Yes, exactly. He needs he needs their help. And uh, they uh, he needs their help for as long as, as possible. So he's like Jeff Winger. He is a bit like a sort of a Jeff Winger type, yeah. From community. Except he kills people. <laughs> okay. Well, Jeff Winger does kill, is it, whose who's parent? Oh, Pierce's dad. Yeah, Pierce's dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pierce's okay. dad. That's true, yeah. But yeah, we don't, we don't usually do hard alignment at my table, but like I know what alignment my players would be if they had to... I, I, that's a constrictive, I, I don't know. I give them that, the, 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 in the new 5e stuff, there's the background stuff and I just have yes. so much source for backgrounds. I'm like, be whoever you want to be and the audience will decide what your alignment is. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I would answer your question, but unfortunately I don't have enough experience in RPGs. I mean, we could even open it up to like card playing games because like I can also cite one of the reasons I love playing games is because when I was young, my dad taught me how to play Texas Hold'em while we did laundry at a laundromat. And that made me feel super included because one of his like stupid friends was like, girls don't play, girls don't play Hold'em. And my dad was like, my girl plays Hold'em. And I felt very <laughs> included. So, oh, I will, I will tell you. Okay. So if we're opening it up to other types of games. 100%. Um, I prefer games that do not have lots of rules and structures that I have to remember. Because remembering a lot of information uh, makes me stressed out. Uh, uh, and I I like to, like, I like the game to be approachable uh, in that I don't, have to spend a lot of brain power knowing what I have to do because it, it ends up turning into I just lose um, and I, I just might not have a very good attention span but uh, I tend to kind of start spacing out and and then having to ask other players what, what I'm supposed to do so I'm just one of those players that likes maybe a 10 minute maximum explanation <laughs> of how a game works I saw this really fun page from a comic book yeah. earlier this week and I wish I knew what comic book it was but there's a bunch of uh, Marvel characters and there's someone is explaining this big complicated thing that's about to happen mm-hmm. and then it zooms in on Spider-Man and Moon Knight and Moon Knight says to Spider-Man I picked a really bad time to zone out what did I miss and Spider-Man tries to sum it up for him a little bit and Moon Knight goes what and Spider-Man says just punch whoever I punch in a second <laughs> That's the best. That's, I mean, that's how you do Well, and you're always going to have people at the table that can't give 100% attention all of the time. That's also on, like, I, I assume a lot of that responsibility, like, I, I'll, if someone's not interested in the scene that's happening, I will turn to somebody else and include them more and take the pressure off of the person that, but that's just my improv background. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, I tell my players all the time to not be mechanics. I'm like, I want you to be people. I will worry about your mechanics. All I want you to worry about is, like, how you think you would react as a person. Oh, well, that, it's been another lovely episode of You Might Love This. And uh, I wanted to say thank you one more time, Isla. It's just been so fun sharing this with you. And I, I'm filled with the overwhelming sensibility that I would love to play with you sometime. I would love to play with you guys. I was actually going to ask if I could perhaps use a likeness of each of you as background extras in my next episode. Fine by me. Oh, that's so nice. Yes, of course. Uh, I'm delighted. 
Thank you. <laughs> well, I hope that you enjoyed listening and I hope that you'll give um, uh, Die Lucky a try if you're out there and this episode was something that gave you joy. Um, as always, you can find us online. I already mentioned the Twitter and our email address, but we're on Facebook too. We have a group called You Might Love This Podcast. It's really fun, full of great folks that uh, share interests with one another and sh- love sharing stories about what they're into. And uh uh, if you're really uh, starved for more content in this, uh, in a in, in, during a global pandemic that has lots of us spending more time at home, then a great place to find that is on the Scavengers Network, uh, where you can listen to shows like Fan and Ball, which I record with my friend Beth, where we talk about uh, fandom and fan culture. Uh, or you could listen to, say, uh, Spooky Spouses. Spooky Spouses, which is a fun show helmed by the uh, uh, the Reed family, uh, where they talk about uh, things that are spooky and ghosty and mysterious and things like that. Um, special, also, special thanks to our cat, Lydia Bean, who's thank cute. Thank you, Lydia. <laughs> uh, special thanks to my roommate's cat, Zoe, who is also adorable and cute. <laughs> thank you, Zoe. Uh, and of course, always, as always, saying a dear thanks. Uh, and of course, we'd also like to say, as always, a big thanks to our dear friend, Leandra. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks the for the hand. hand. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, nice. Thanks for taking part in that. Uh, I she- have been waiting all episode for it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And because we haven't said it in a little while, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Trans Matter. Trans Lives Matter. And, and uh, trans rights. And, um, you know, support your friends in this in this trying time. We're all having a hard time and it's it's. our difficulties are not always visible to those around us. So say hello. Yeah. But I think otherwise that's really it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I look forward to seeing you again next week. I hope we get lots of answers to this week's question. Take care of yourselves out there. Take care of yourselves out there. And this is for real. It's very important. We need you here. Yes. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Social distance. And take time for you. Yeah. When you need it. Take, Take advantage of technology. The, the power of technology. Say hi to your friends online. Yeah. And make autopilot be nice. Make autopilot <laughs> yes. be nice. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it for it today. We've said it all there is to say, and I'll see you next week. My name's Max. I'm Cassie. I've been Isla. And you might love this. Yay! Yeah! Yay! The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content. Hello, I am Colin Parker. And I'm Alex Taylor. And we are the hosts of Journey Under 30. This is a podcast all about us doing what we can to be named in a future Forbes 30 Under 30. On each episode, we take a look at a career of an individual that has been recognized by Forbes. Sometimes we look at careers that we think were overlooked. Or sometimes we talk about the careers that you may not know about, but you should. And in the end, we discuss what we've learned as well as how we can apply to our own career paths as we make our mark in this world. So join us every other Tuesday on whatever podcatching app you choose, and we'll see you on the Forbes. See ya. Bye-bye now.